Good morning. Good morning. Oh, come on. Try that again. Good morning. Good morning. I couldn't hear y'all. Good morning. So, welcome to those who are here and those who are online. I invite those who are online to um, say good morning to everybody worshiping with you through um, internet and Facebook Live and um, just remind ourselves that we all gather together on this day, coming in anticipation and expectation uh, of experiencing Christ afresh and anew, coming with the expectation that the Spirit moves deep within us, continuing to shape us and to form us so that we might continue to connect with God and each other, that we might continue to grow in our relationship with God and each other, and so that we might go empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so I invite those who are here to stand as we uh, light the, the, the candles here and are reminded of Christ's presence. Those at home, you are invited to light the candle that you have in your midst to be reminded Christ is among us this day.
Just want to remind folks that uh, we do have a servant leadership team um, this Tuesday night, so if you're on that team, be sure uh, to have that on your calendar. Also want to remind folks that later this afternoon at 2 o'clock, we will be uh, celebrating the life of Virginia Hoffman. And so you all are invited to come back as we join with, uh, with Don to celebrate uh, Virginia's life and what she has meant to this congregation as well as other congregations. So you're invited to come back to that this afternoon also. Any other announcements I'm forgetting, Kobe, I can think of? Um, just remember that uh, September 9th we will be beginning the Wednesday Night Live and more details on that will certainly be coming out this week. And so um, just uh, want to remind you of that also. I want to invite us now to uh, simply... Um, bow our heads uh, or um, allow ourselves to um, relax and focus our thoughts on God. To focus our thoughts on the presence of Christ that surrounds us. To remind ourselves that God is with us not in just these moments, but that God is with us always. And as we gather in worship and we take times like this, the idea is that it encourages us to practice such things throughout the week. To simply stop, acknowledge God's presence, and invite God to speak and work through us. And so as we do that today, we offer up this simple prayer. Gracious God, may we be ever aware of your loving presence. May we live life not just on our own power, but in the power of your spirit. May we invite you into all that we do and all that we are. So that in and through us, people will see your goodness, they will see your grace, and they will be invited to experience the same healing and grace and wholeness that we have experienced. And so now we join our voices together in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
going to continue our journey through Acts, I remind us that, um, in fact, what we're um, looking at in Acts is we are looking at this, uh, this movement uh, of the people of God that was inaugurated by Jesus and then has been uh, continued through um, his original disciples and others, um, but it is this movement of the people of God that has become known as the way. Uh, that is what the followers of Jesus were uh, originally called. And we have uh, 
We've gotten our, ourselves all the way up through uh, chapter um, 11 of um, Acts, and we are going to actually um, unpack from um, Acts 11:19 all the way through the end of chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you uh, to, to grab them and open them up to um, Acts chapter 11 and um, just follow along in this story as we continue to hear about this movement called the Way. In 11, 19 uh, through 21, we read these words. We, we had heard, we've heard um, last week about, um, about Peter and what was going on in Jerusalem, and, and we've been kind of going back and forth between Jerusalem and what's happening outside of Jerusalem, and, and we find ourselves in the city of, of Antioch. And I guess, um, I should, you know, Jerusalem's down here, Antioch is up here in Syria, and so we have moved from Galilee to Judea all the way up to Syria, and we see what the Holy Spirit had said would happen, um, that the disciples would be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and we are seeing this unfold. And we're told in 1119, we read these words, now those who were scattered as a result of the trouble that occurred because of Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And Cyprus is, a, is an island in the Mediterranean out here. But we, we begin to see that what is, is happening in this movement um, as a result of Stephen's stoning and the scattering of folks from Jerusalem, we see that this movement, this message, the good news of Jesus is spreading throughout the world. And it says that these people... Uh, were proclaiming the word only to the Jews. Among them were some people from Cyprus and Cyrene. They entered Antioch and they began to proclaim the good news about the Lord Jesus um, um, also to the Jews who spoke Greek. So they're not, they're not proclaiming the word just to the Hebrew Jews, but also to the Greek-speaking um, Jewish folks. The Lord's power was with them and a large number came to believe and turned to the Lord. And then we're told, so, so we have these events going on in, in Antioch, way up here, away from the Jerusalem church. And apparently, as we have seen earlier in Acts, uh, the church in Jerusalem is not sure what to make about all of this. Earlier, they had sent Peter and John to check out what was going on in Galilee. And now they send Barnabas up to um, Antioch in Syria to see what is going on with this, this movement of this people? I think in some regards, um, they're wanting to make sure that it is authentic and it is true to the gospel message. And we're told here at the end of chapter 11 that when Barnabas gets there, he witnesses, he witnesses uh, the grace of God that it is work in Antioch and he sees the power of the Holy Spirit working within these people. And we're told apparently after he gets there and he, he witnesses this and he sees what's going on, I guess he realizes that he needs some help if he's going to teach and help these followers of Jesus to grow in their relationship and their knowledge of Jesus. But instead of going back to Jerusalem or sending somebody to Jerusalem to bring one of the 12 disciples, what he does is he goes further north to Tarsus. 
And if we are paying attention to the story, that, rings, that should ring a bell to us. Who was from Tarsus? Saul was from Tarsus, right? Back in chapter 9, we've read the story of, of this conversion that Saul had as he learned that he had been following the right God, but in the wrong way. And so Barnabas goes up and he brings Saul, who is now being called Paul, back to the church in Antioch. And the two of them spend a year there teaching and sharing and encouraging and strengthening the followers of the way who are in Antioch. And we're told in the midst of this that apparently there was a famine going on. And so Barnabas and Paul are given a task to go to Jerusalem to take an offering to the church in Jerusalem to help with the famine that they are experiencing. Uh, we don't hear much about that trip, but, uh, but we move into chapter 12 and we see this, uh, what seems like an interruption in the story. In fact, if you took chapter 12 out and moved to chapter 13, um, you would hardly miss chapter 12. But what's going on in chapter 12 is we see King Herod uh, beginning to harass the church. We see him first kill James, the brother of John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and then we see him in prison, Peter. And he is being encouraged by uh, the Jewish people in Jerusalem to do this thing. Attempting to silence this movement of the way that has arisen out of Judaism. But as we read chapter 12, we see in the end that Herod fails. And not only does he fail to silence Peter, who is uh, miraculously released from prison, but in the end, Herod himself is silenced because he wants to be worshipped like a god. And so that brings us to chapter 13. Uh, once again, we're back in Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas have returned from their trip. And we read these words in, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13. The church at Antioch included prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius from Cyrene, uh, Manian, and Saul, who we also know as Paul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said... Appoint Barnabas and Paul to the work I have called them to undertake. And after they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on the two of these and sent them off. I love this. We see over and over again in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit speaking to the people of God. Uh, giving them direction and guidance as to what to do. And here the Spirit tells the church, um, I have appointed Saul or Paul and Barnabas to this mission. If we remember back to Acts chapter 9, when Saul had this encounter on the road to Damascus, uh, if you remember, the Spirit told him then through Ananias said that Paul would go to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the, and to the Jewish people themselves. And so we begin to see this uh, being fulfilled in what follows in these chapters. And so we're going to see uh, Paul and Barnabas are going to start up here in Antioch. They're going to go over to the island of Cyprus. Then they're going to go north to Perga on their way to Antioch in Pisidian, which is uh, basically in Turkey. And then they're going to go into Iconia and Lystra and, and uh, Derby, all in Galatia. 
Um, sound familiar, right? We remember let, uh, Paul's letters to the Galatians. Uh, that's going to be the journey that they are going to take. And as they take that journey, we're going to see a, a, a common pattern that they follow. They're going to go into the synagogue. They're going to share the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, with the Jewish people, with the people of God who ought to be looking for the Messiah, who ought to be receptive for that message. They're going to get a mixed response. Some people are going to receive that message and embrace it and celebrate. Others are going to ignore it or reject it. And some are going to oppose this message. And as a result of the opposition that they run into, we're going to then see that they go to the Gentiles and they begin to share the good news with these outsiders, these Gentiles. Now, it's probably helpful and important for us uh, to understand, it, you know, I think we're familiar with the idea that Jewish people are descendants of Abraham and um, they were people of the covenant, so they had undergone circumcision. And the Gentiles uh, were not descendants of Abraham. And so, um, but in the first century, this distinction was even greater. For you see, when Rome had this habit of when they went into a place... When they went into a place and they took over control, uh, what they would do is they would allow people to have their local gods um, as long as they worshipped the emperor or the gods of Rome as the authoritative gods. As long as they saw the emperor as either God or the representative of God who ruled over all of their gods. Uh, but the Jewish people wouldn't heed to that. And rather than continuing to fight with them, the Romans uh, reached a, a deal with them and said, okay, you don't have to worship the emperor, but you have to pray to your God for the emperor. A and so they were the only group of people who could worship their God and not have to worship the emperor. So this distinction was even a greater distinction. A and this, um, this balance... Uh, of how this worked um, had become a status quo. In fact, um, in the first century, uh, there is no indication that the Jewish people, the people who were in these synagogues, there's no indication uh, that they actually actively or intentionally reached out to Gentiles and invited them to worship and to know this God that they knew. They seemed to be content to be in their synagogues, to talk among themselves, and to be here in case people wanted to come and find out what it was all about. Does that sound familiar? We, we wouldn't do that today, right? Does that not sound a little bit familiar about what happens as the people of God get comfortable with the status quo? We get comfortable with this balance that we have reached. That's what's happened in the first century. There's this comfortableness with, and so the Jewish people, they met in their synagogue. They talked about this God who would one day send a Messiah. And those outside continued to worship all kinds of idols and to practice all kinds of things that contributed to the brokenness of the world. We see that begin to change with this people 
called the way with these followers of Jesus. And so we see Paul and Barnabas and their team, we see them go off to Cyprus. And in Cyprus, we're told they go into the synagogue. We're, we're not told how the people in the synagogue really respond there. Uh, what we are told is they travel to the other end of the island. Uh, the governor of one of the, t- of the cities there says, uh, bring Paul and uh, Barnabas to me. I, I want to hear what they have to say. This non-Jewish outsider Gentile was interested to hear what Paul and Barnabas had to say. But you see, there was also this, this uh, magician, this false prophet called Bar-Jesus, who sought to oppose and to stand in the way and to hinder the message of Paul and Barnabas to uh, this Gentile um, governor. And we see in the story that this false prophet is silenced. And in witnessing this, the governor pays attention to what uh, Paul and Barnabas have to say. And we're told that he begins to believe in the message that they are sharing in the good news about Jesus. And then we're told that uh, Paul and Barnabas, they set sail, they go into Turkey, uh, they end up in Antioch of Pisidian. Um, again, this is up in cent- what we call central Turkey, known as Galatia, at that period of time. And, and we see, once again, they enter into the synagogue. And this is in chapter 13. And, and in chapter 13, we see a much more detailed sermon uh, that Paul gives to the people in the synagogue. And, and we'll notice right away, if we're paying attention to um, Acts, we'll notice that it's a bit different than Stephen's speech that was uh, given earlier in chapter uh, 7. We see it's a much more positive speech. If you remember in Stephen's speech, he is a bit more, um, what's the word I want to use? He's a, he's a bit more uh, uh, critical. He's, he's more uh, talking to the people and reminding them of their hard-heartedness and, and their lack of listening. But, but Paul doesn't emphasize that. In fact, as we see, as he unpacks the story, instead of talking about how people opposed Moses, he, talks, he begins with the Exodus, he begins with the people of God, he begins how God delivered them uh, from Egypt, how God led them in the wilderness, how God gave them judges and prophets, and finally King David, and now he's given them this descendant of David. Again, painting this picture of how God had continually uh, called them and led them and offered to deliver them. And he tells them, in this Jesus, they have been given this opportunity to be set free from the bondage of their sins. Not just from the bondage of Egypt uh, but to be, or, or the bondage of the Roman Empire, but to be set free from their own sins and that which binds them and doesn't allow them to follow the ways of God. But he does warn them. He does warn them. He says, now don't be like the Jews, like the synagogues in Jerusalem, who were so hard-hearted that they rejected this new movement of God. In fact, they so rejected it, that they crucified this innocent man, Jesus. But God has raised him up, and he has appeared to us, and that is proof that he is the Messiah who he said he was. He is the one who is the king and the ruler of the Jewish people, and the one through whom you should follow. 
And we're told that message hits home in the synagogue in Antioch. And people are marveled and people begin to believe and to turn. And in fact, they invite Paul and Barnabas to come back next week. But when they come back next week, they encounter a little bit more opposition. Apparently, those who weren't convinced... Those who rejected their declaration that Jesus was the Messiah, they also showed up to say, no, these people are leading you astray instead of leading you in the ways of Jesus. And we begin to see this opposition that arises to the message of Paul and Barnabas, not just in this journey, but in future journeys. And we see as this arises, Paul and Barnabas go out and begin to share the message with outsiders, with the Gentiles. They begin to share the good news with these other people. And as a result, they end up being chased out of Antioch. And they go to Iconium. And we see the same thing repeated. They go into the synagogue. They share. They get mixed reviews. They, they encounter opposition. And they are um, pushed out. To share the message now with outsiders and with the Gentiles. But we begin to see this strange alliance begin to form. In Iconium, we see that the insiders, the people of God, the Jewish people, who, who know the history of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, who have been waiting and anticipating a Messiah, but just believe uh, that these folks are following the wrong one, uh, they begin to partner with some of the outsiders who are the rulers and the governors because neither one of them liked the disruption that followers of Jesus are creating. They're messing with the status quo. They're suggesting that there is a third way in which all people can be brought together, in which all people can worship the same God, in which all people can experience the grace and the forgiveness and the freedom of their sin and their brokenness through Christ. And neither the resistant Jews nor the resistant Gentiles like that message. It's messing with their status quo. And so they plan to stone Paul and Barnabas. And so they escape and on to Lystra they go. And guess what? The same thing happens again. And in Lystra, even before they get to the synagogue, they encounter a person, they heal this person, and the, the, the Gentiles 
uh, because they're so used to worshiping other gods, think that Paul and Barnabas are gods, and, and so they want to worship them, and Paul and Barnabas try to tell them, no, we've come to set you free from idol worship so that you might worship the one true God who doesn't want you to just appease Him, but wants you to experience His graciousness. Not being worried that He's going to be mad at you all the time. But along come Jews from Antioch and Iconium. And they stir up trouble and this alliance again of the resistant people of God and the resistant Gentiles. This time, Paul and Barnabas don't escape and they are stoned. They are left for dead. But they're not dead. They get up. They go back into the city, and the next day they get up, they shake off the dust, and they go to another place in Derby. And we can guess the same thing happened again. We're not told in Scripture, but we see the same thing repeated. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but um, then as they head on the return trip, guess what they end up doing? They end up returning to these cities that they have been. Well, we probably wouldn't do that. We'd probably find another way to get back to Antioch so that we didn't have to experience that. But they returned to these cities seeking to encourage and to strengthen those who are followers of the way who remain there, encouraging them despite the opposition, despite the resistance from uh, the people of God and the Gentiles, encouraging them to continue to share the good news with all people, inviting all people to be a part of the people of God. And they return, Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch, and they share, they share with the church in Antioch. And we read these words in chapter 14, at the end of 14. On their arrival, they gathered the church together, they reported everything that God had accomplished through their activity and how God had opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. We're going to see next week how this message is received in the Jerusalem church as Paul and Barnabas return to Jerusalem to share what is going on. We will see, see what happens when the Jerusalem church is confronted with this strange thing that God and the Holy Spirit are doing. This strange thing. Where the good news is not just for the people of God who gather themselves in a space and wall themselves off for outsiders and wait for people to come to them. That this good news of Jesus Christ who sets us free is good news for all people. And we will begin to see how this wonderful movement of God brings in more and more people. And more importantly, it sets people free from that which binds them. It begins to heal their brokenness. And when it begins to heal their brokenness, they begin to live in different ways that make a difference in their cities and in their communities. And the grace 
and the love of God begin to abound as this new community is formed. And people, people not only hear their message, but they see this different way in which they live. May we hear the message of Acts today. May we pay attention to the Holy Spirit. May we know that the Holy Spirit is already at work in the world and invites us to join God's work. Reaching out to people who are seeking to hear the good news may not even know it. They just know they need to be rescued. They know they need to be healed. They know they need purpose. Uh, They know that there is more. And even in the face of opposition, may we have confidence that the Holy Spirit is with us and will guide us and will give us words and wisdom so that others will respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. May we go forth from here today intentionally seeking to share the good news with people who have yet to encounter or to begin to join this movement of following Jesus. Amen. Now as the band plays, you here are invited uh, to, um, you're invited to pick up the offering envelope to to offer, and as you offer your tithes and your gifts, uh, you can put those in the offering plate when you, when you leave. But most importantly, most importantly, we, those here, those online, are invited to offer our whole selves to God so that we might participate in this movement of Jesus followers in the same way that Paul and Barnabas and their team did. Just as I am, just
invitation today, wherever you might be, whether you're one that just needs to be prodded so that you get on board with the movement of Jesus, or whether you need just a little encouragement to go out and to share with others, may you pay attention to the Holy Spirit this day. And as you hear the voice of the Spirit, may you also respond, knowing that the same Spirit goes with you. Let us go forth in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit to continue to participate in the great movement of the way of the followers of Christ. Amen.